Hey, Three Crosses family. Uh, this might be a little bit of a different voice for you, but this is Pastor Ryan Suzuki. And you might be missing AJ, wondering where is he? Well, he's out for the next couple weeks because he and his wife, Laura, welcomed their third daughter, little Jocelyn, into the world. And so we're giving him a little break, of course, to spend time with his family to celebrate what God is doing. I know many of you knew that this baby was coming and been praying for them. And so we're celebrating along with them. Uh, but for you, the listener, that means you get to deal with me for the next couple weeks. So this last week, we got to hear from Austin Payne, our incoming director of student ministries here at Three Crosses, in our Advent series, Sacred Scandal, where he talked about the life of Tamar. And so with that, I've always wanted to say this, let's go deeper. Okay, awesome. Thanks for being here. We appreciate having you. And, you know, we're excited to have you join our team and already hearing from you twice. I mean, <laughs> you got two doozies. I know. And I was I was stoked to teach, honestly. I, I love to I love to teach, love to communicate and like the opportunity to come to three crosses and right away like jump up on the main stage was exciting. But then to hear the first one, you know, it happened to land on why would a loving God send people to hell? It's like, wow, okay, what a sermon to give being new. And then this one being on Judah and Tamar was yeah. quite the quite the start. Yeah, you know? I, I mean, just a second ago, you shared with me that someone else on our staff commented like, "Hey, I I was sitting next to my twelve year old son when you're talking about Judah and Tamar. It's a you know, it's the Bible's a real it's a real document that's telling it, real things, and it does it's not afraid to go there. It is the Bible, and that is my defense, right? But I did have multiple people on Sunday come up to me and be like, "Thanks for this." car ride home. I appreciate this conversation or haven't had the birds and the bees conversation yet. So blame Danny. Yeah. Can't wait. I'm going to Mason, my oldest and I will have a talk. Um, so first, I mean, for some of our, our listeners, they might not even know you yet. They weren't here on a Sunday or they didn't catch the sermon. Um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you, first of all, how you came to us a little bit, you know, a little bit about your background, your family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am or actually originally from the Bay, which is kind of fun. I was born in Santa Clara, um, but I spent no time here. I, was, I think I was like a month or two old when my family moved down to Lake Arrowhead. My dad was a pastor down there um, for a handful of years. And then in 1999, my family moved down to South America and we spent about, uh, I was there for 11 years. My parents were there for 17 um, as missionaries down in Quito, Ecuador. And so I was seven when we moved down there. I'm the youngest of four, graduated high school from Alliance Academy down in Quito, Ecuador. Um, and then I graduated, went to Biola, um, kind of bounced around California a little bit, been in San Diego for the last six years or so as a pastor at a church called North Coast. And now I'm here. Well, I'm almost here. One more one more month or so. But Thanks for sharing that with us. And we're just excited. I'm excited for our church family to get to know you. Just a little time that we've been able to spend together. It's just exciting. And I feel like you have shared with what we really sense at our church is that God is moving and doing a new thing and he's doing incredible things. Um, and it's just exciting to have more people be a part of that and to bring more of that newness of life and be a part of this mission of transforming the East Bay with the gospel. So thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing with and teaching our congregation. Thanks for taking a little time with us. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's been such an honor and, um, it's exciting to see what God is doing. And it's so clear to me and to my wife, Paige, who's also going to come on staff that, that God is doing a work at three crosses. And back in April or May, when we first started kind of talking about three crosses and coming up here, 
at the time, both of us were like, we're not moving to the Bay. We love San Diego. We love our jobs. We love the church uh, that we were at. And, and yet to watch how God has shifted our hearts and um, through our couple of times visiting up here and just like seeing the team and seeing what God's doing, it's, it honestly is really exciting and um, we're pumped and couldn't, couldn't uh, be more excited to jump into what God's been up to here and is continuing to do as, as three crosses is just working. And uh, yeah, this team's awesome. So we're excited. Okay. Awesome. Like, so when you came in, I mean, not only did you get the message on hell, not only did you get Judah and Tamar, but you're really kicking off a series that's talking about a genealogy. Everyone's favorite thing when they're reading their Bible, you, you mentioned it on Sunday, how it's a flyover. I mean, that's a pretty generous way to talk about it sometimes where people just kind of, that's almost like a blank spot in people's minds. Right, but right. you really point out this intentionality, which we really want to draw people to. Like, there's obviously a reason that the authors of Scripture, we think about Matthew, we think about Luke, who specifically have these genealogies about Jesus. They put them in there. So... And also, Matthew's very notable in the inclusion of these women. So what is—talk to us a little bit about Matthew, his purpose, why he did that, why did he include these these women? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, they really do feel over—like, I love the term flyover. It feels like the Nebraska of, of Bible chapters, right? You're just like, what what's actually there? Like, sorry, this, Nebraska people. Sorry, okay. sorry, Nebraska, if you're listening out there. But, um, yeah, but it's so cool. Like, honestly, when you start jumping into it and realizing how intentional Matthew was to include that genealogy and to start his uh, his gospel narrative with that genealogy, like there's three fourteens, right? It's like six sevens and how intentional like the whole Bible is about using the number seven. There's like, uh, even with the way he writes his gospel with like five different sections to tie back into the five books of Moses. And then there's all these themes of like how Jesus is the new Moses and the fulfillment of, of so much of what Moses brought in the Mosaic law. So it really is not random at all. Like you look at the intentionality of Matthew and how he writes his gospel and constructs his gospel. It was 30, 40 years after Jesus had left. And um, I, I really believe that Matthew took it upon himself to to not just rely on oral tradition and the conversations that were happening about Jesus as the church launched, but to really like set it upon himself to to write down um, a, a really intentional continuation of the Old Testament for the Jewish population of this is the story of Jesus, but I'm going to start it with like where he came from. And then I think he was kind of intentional about the people that he included. And I, I have to believe that a part of that was because he was a tax collector, right? And, I, and we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but as a tax collector, he wouldn't have belonged anywhere, right? Like the fact that Jesus had a zealot and a tax collector as a part of his inner circle is beautiful, right? The zealots were like these Jewish quasi-terrorists, right? They were like people that were taking upon themselves to take down the Roman empire through military force. And then you have... Matthew, the tax collector, working for Rome. Like those two people would have never, ever, ever been in a room together. And yet through the power of Jesus, they end up being on the same team, on the same squad. And and Jesus is like, come and follow me. And the two of them had to figure it out. And so it within that context of him feeling a little bit marginalized, I don't fit in with the Romans. I'm Jewish. I don't fit in with the Jewish people because I'm a tax collector and all every good Jewish person would have hated the tax collectors because they were working for Rome and stealing money and yada, yada, yada. And so you get these five women and you get, um, I love this series, this Advent series, tracking those five women. Who were they? Why were they included? Um, Because they're kind of scandalous stories. They're not 
Jewish people. Uh, some of them are like, there's a prostitute. There's one that dresses up as a prostitute. There's one that's, you know, used and abused. And um, th- these stories are just bananas. And yet God intentionally says, this is how I'm going to bring about my my son. And I love uh, Larry Osborne. Used to, he was the founder and senior pastor of North Coast Church for a long time. He said, God likes to to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. And I love that imagery of just like, because I mean, as a human, doesn't that kind of make you just go like, oh, like take a breath a little bit. You're like, I, I'm broken and I'm messed up. And there's so many things in my story I'm not proud of. And yet, wow, like if this is how God brought about his son, what an upside down kingdom where he has, invites us into what he's doing, not in spite of the brokenness, but in the midst of that brokenness. Right. It's almost like when I'm looking at these things, it's a great reminder of the power of God. And it reminds me just of that that principle we've heard in Romans, that God uses all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, that despite our brokenness, despite anything that might we might imagine, I'm imagining some of our listeners out there, you know, we've all experienced brokenness. We've all done things that we know are missing the mark of God in our lives. And yet, like we look at people that we see in these stories, even... This, you know, even on Sunday, you were talking about Judah. At first, you kind of said the hero, and then said, actually, he's the antagonist. I mean, Judah is this person that's so um, respected in the scriptures. You think about Judah as this powerful person, but at the same time, this story, I mean, he is the bad guy. He's absolutely the bad guy. Yeah. Even, I mean, even in the surrounding context, we did a little bit of the like joke of like the previously in the book of Genesis, but the the surrounding context as the fourth son he's the one that sells joseph to the ishmaelites you know he's a part of the party that comes back to jacob israel and dips the coat of many colors in a goat's blood lies to their dad about him and then he completely disobeys not only his dad but his ancestry by going and marrying a canaanite woman and then he doesn't follow up on the whole Leveret law of like giving his son to Shayla and, and then he goes and he hires a prostitute to sleep with. Like it, everything about his story is like, you're like, dude, what is wrong yeah, with who you? Is this <laughs> who guy? is this guy? And of all the brothers, like why would God have chosen Judah to be the one that's like in the lineage in the, in the book of Matthew, right? It seems like, man, take Joseph, take Reuben, even at least who was like, let's not kill our little brother. Like there, it seems like there's so many, you know, more qualified options, but I feel like you look all throughout scripture and there, there always seems to be more, you know, quote unquote, more qualified options. Like even, you know, King David has an insane story, but when they, when they come to his house to find the next King, he's not even one of the, he doesn't even make the top, whatever it is, seven, eight, how many other brothers are there? It's like David's the one in the back room. It's like, well, you're not interested in yeah. him. It's not like even at the, he's the, not even at the uh, right the evaluation yeah, ceremony. Yeah, he doesn't get he doesn't get a rose. Uh, but I, I I just love that that's the way that God works all throughout Scripture. It seems like he he takes these unqualified people uh, in the world's terms, and, and I love that. That was even so much of the theme that we talked about this weekend. Those the marginalized, the irreligious. Like if you looked at when Jesus came into the picture, he took the fishermen. He took the tax collectors and the zealots and, and he calls them to this greater purpose. And it's not that if you're an important person, God has nothing to do with you. It just, I just feel like it is this quote, quote unquote, we've said this term a couple of times, upside down kingdom, where he says the first shall be last. Like, if you want to come to me, die to yourself. Like, what does that look like for us to take this kingdom lens and apply it to the things that we think are important? Well, it reminds me, even at the beginning, you talked about, when we were talking about just the genealogy in Matthew, I mean, Matthew, a lot of times they talk about the gospel of Matthew being the 
gospel to the Jewish people. And it's interesting, even when you were pointing out the tax collectors and that he was kind of a person without a people, he's a person outside. I mean, you see kind of even as he relates to these marginalized people, these women in the story of Jesus, in the in the lineage of Jesus, but also all these ways that Matthew goes to such great lengths to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Even for you out there, our listeners out there, a lot of times it's really easy to just kind of stick around in the New Testament. It um, can feel more understandable, like it's more of a, even a Greco-Roman world is a more relatable world to our world. But man, the Old Testament brings us to this, this flavor, it brings us this understanding of what God has done, the great lengths that God has gone to, and the kind of, as you've been just, we've been talking about it, just really broken, messed up people, all these different ways, and yet God is moving his plan forward. And he highlights these these women, we're going to be doing that, talking about them for the next several weeks throughout this series. I get to talk about Ruth in a few weeks. But it's just so incredible to me that God, like there's these, these unexpected heroes, these unexpected people, um, the people that you'd least expect that God uses them as absolute instruments to further his plan for redemption, salvation, and reconciliation with the world to himself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would even just like pick up on, on something you just said of, of the Old Testament. Like it, it is, I do find myself in, you know, like a quiet time or picking up my Bible to read it. Like it's, it, it does seem easier or more applicable to pick it up and read like a Philippians or, you know, a James or a Colossians, like, or, or even a gospel, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And you go like, oh, this is, this seems more readily applicable than than picking it up and reading like about a war or about some Old Testament laws or a prophet or whatever it might be. Like the Old Testament definitely feels a little bit um, more challenging to trudge through. And yet for me personally, in my own like walk with Jesus and my discipleship, I feel like the, the Old Testament has added um, a depth and like a, a color to a, maybe a, a black and white understanding of scripture in a way that nothing else has. Like when you, when you start to read the new Testament in light of the old Testament, like I even think back, like we both went to Biola and, uh, Dr. Lundy taught a class, um, called old Testament use of the new, or yes, sorry, new, new Testament, Testament use of the old. I, I turned those around and like that, the whole concept of better understanding how the New Testament uses the Old Testament, how many times Jesus is, Jesus references the Old Testament, how many times Paul references the Old Testament, like they didn't write anything without the lens and the context of that. And yet so many of us lack, myself included, lack a, a full understanding of the Old Testament and the prophets and the law and the kings and the genealogies, which is what makes them fly over things, right? Anytime Jesus references the Old Testament, you're like, that's random. Yeah. Like, it just feels like it's like this random pull from Ezekiel, right. you know, and you're like, cool. Um, but you miss so much of what Jesus was trying to communicate if we don't understand why it's there. And if we don't have that context and like, I was, uh, you know, cheesily use the analogy of like, if you watch, uh, uh, like any of the star Wars movies without a context for what the star Wars universe is right. like, you're going to miss really important things, right? Like in, in one of the new star Wars, you might know better than me. Like they like Probably. pull the, <laughs> <laughs> they pull the tarp off the, the millennium Falcon, yeah. you know? And like in that moment, everybody in the theater was like, <gasps> like lost their minds. Yeah. But it's like, if you haven't watched the old movies, it just looks like a junky old ship yeah. that they randomly found, you yeah. know? And like, that's the Bible. It, it's like so much of like, even Matthew, Matthew has this direct tie to Jesus with Moses. And it's like, 
the way he structures his gospel is like Jesus is going to be this new mosaic character who he's going to come out of the waters of baptism into the desert. And you like see these themes of the nation of Israel crossing the sea, uh, the Red Sea, and then going into the desert wandering. And it's like, if you're the like, quote unquote, inundated, those of us that are Star Wars nerds go like, oh, you know, there's there's that moment. It's and all it's Easter like, eggs. Right. If you, you catch those Easter eggs in the book of Matthew, if you're like, wait a second, like he was baptized he goes into the desert like this is an exodus tie like this is and when you start doing that the bible comes alive like the bible it becomes exciting to explore and learn and i really think like if god left us his word 66 books to reveal himself to us like we would do well to to dive for those easter eggs and, and look for context and understand how the bible's written and 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 like i'm a lot of our listeners, like you, you probably relate to the fact of like reading the Bible can be hard and it can be confusing and, you know, boring at times. But I really think if you do the work of seeking context and, and reading and researching and asking hard questions and underlining and like my Bible has so many question marks in it. It's like an underline and a question mark. Like what? Like where, why is, why is this here? And what is like, what's the tie here? And like, try not to fly over it. And the more I do that and the more I seek, uh, I just feel like I learn more about who God is and why he chose to reveal himself that yeah. way. Well, let's just talk a little bit about that idea too, where it's where when you see it and you can experience it, like talking about this idea of the fulfillment of the promises, like the genealogies take us there. Matthew's, Matthew's whole gospel account is really helping us see that, helping us see that Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. And I just wanted you to unpack a little bit. Where do you, how do you see that in the book of Matthew and yeah. really like in it? And it will take us back to the story of Judah and Tamar. Yeah, yeah. I so this is kind of funny. I I I don't know which service landed online, the nine or the eleven. But in the nine a.m., I kind of dove into this a little bit in the intro. In the eleven a.m., I kind of skipped it because during the sermon, it felt like I spent way too much time like dialing into the book of Matthew and how cool it is. I kind of nerded out a little yeah. bit. And at the eleven, I was like, I wanted to just spend more time at the end talking about like what what advent is and like jesus's heart for being with us like i i spent a little more time in the john chapter 17 section well 11 o'clock listeners get ready you're gonna, <laughs> 11 you're gonna get what you missed I, I i'll nerd out with you for a second but uh, there's there's so many cool moments in the book of matthew that where like in isaiah chapter 60 it says that the nations will come to visit the messiah and then we see the magi you know we see the, the they come and they honor the king with the gifts and um it like that's again that's one of those things that you miss it just becomes the three wise men in the christmas story unless you like see like them come and visit a savior and you're like, whoa, like Isaiah prophesied of this. Like he said, this was coming. Um, another one, you know, Micah chapter five talks about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. Um, which uh, again, like th- that's, if you've been around Christianity and you hear like, oh, the old Testament prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You're like, oh, cool. But like, <laughs> that's bananas right. that uh, like, for anybody to make the claim that a Messiah would come and you'd be born in a specific town is like an asinine statement, right? Like that's a crazy thing to call your shot. And, and yet for, for the old Testament to, to have hundreds of prophecies about um, Jesus and the Messiah and the fulfillment of this kingdom, like for us to see 
prophecy after prophecy after prophecy to come true and and like verified timestamps. Like the, these are real people in real places in real times. This isn't just like a manufactured story after the fact. Um, I mean, Isaiah chapter seven, the virgin birth, uh, the amount of times Matthew, I think it's three or four times he, he explicitly uses the term Emmanuel, which is this like Old Testament word that they use to talk about like the coming of the Messiah, that he would be God, Yahweh with us, that he would be coming. And then Matthew uses that term. And again, if you know the context, as soon as Matthew says Emmanuel, you're like, wait, what? Like, this is who we're talking about. And so, yeah, there's just, there's, there's a handful of things like that within the context of the book of Matthew that allow us to see and hear and understand as the reader that this Jesus and the line that he came through, this story is not just a New Testament story. This is something that from the very beginning of time, right? We see the first gospel in, in Genesis chapter three, where, you know, sin enters into the picture and God's plan is un, in, unveiled in a lot of ways of like, Jesus says this, or God says, this is going to be the way that I save my people. And, and it, it started right there. And so it's easy, I think, sometimes to pick up the New Testament and go like, oh, this is where the story starts. But, but, but we, we miss the importance of uh, the intentionality of Matthew and even in why I think Matthew sat down with the Jewish people to go like, let me help you understand who this Jesus character is by tying him into so much of the Old Testament. Well, and that's, it takes us back to these, this genealogy, which again, could be a flyover. Maybe it's one of those opportunities for our listeners. Hey, go look at these people. Go look at their lives and see right. how God used them. But Judah and Tamar, it is one of those stories, yeah, like, like our... <laughs> fellow staff member said, man, kind of a strange story, especially to be listening next to your 12-year-old boy, but it's there and it's got a purpose. It's not just there for shock value. It's not just there um, for any of those. It's there to show this movement of God, what God is doing and what he is crafting and and the kind of people he learned. Matthew uses it specifically. Um, yeah, let's, just, let's go even farther into that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a random story in the context of Genesis, right? Like, I spent so much time preparing for this sermon, just reading Genesis. Um, like, I, it's Genesis 38, so I, I kept going back. You know, at first I was like, okay, I want to read like 39 and then like 37. Like, generally, you want to read the chapters around the chapter that you're going to preach. But then I just kept reading, right? I just was reading all the way to the end of Genesis. And then I went back and I backtracked all the way to like Abraham in Genesis 15. And, you know, you see, you know, the Abraham have Isaac and that whole story is kind of nuts. And then you see the whole story of Jacob and Esau and that story's crazy. And that's why I made the joke on Sunday. I was like, if you think keeping up with the Kardashians or, you know, the real housewives is crazy, like just read the book of Genesis. Like it puts any of these shows to shame because... It's just crazy. Like, it's actually wild to me uh, that this is the story that God chooses to bring his people from. Because, like, even, I mean, the story of Jacob and working for Laban and Leah and Rachel and how the 12 tribes of Israel come about is just a wild story. And then the story of Joseph has always been one of my absolute favorite stories. Like, um, I think uh, for me in my life, like the last probably like three or four years has been like pretty tumultuous. And um, it, with COVID, I think that was true for a lot of us, but like for my wife and I, we just walked through some crazy stuff within our community and like lo the loss of dear friends. And um, it's 
always, always, always hard in the midst of tragedy to understand and see like what God is doing. Like when you're in it, it's like, what is happening, right? Like where, where are you, God? Um, I've been in youth ministry for uh, almost 10 years now. And like, that's the predominant question that you face in youth ministry is like, why would bad things happen to good people? Like, why would a loving God allow evil to happen in the world? And like the story of Joseph has always been a go-to for me because he gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you've walked through in your life and, and, you know, maybe as listeners, or whatever, you've walked through some crazy stuff, but I don't know a lot of people that were sold into slavery by their brothers. And then he ends up in, in Egypt in Potiphar's household and in Potiphar's household, he kind of rises to the ranks and you think like, you know, those moments in life where you're like, Oh God, like yeah, I maybe, a comeback story. I understand why I walked through all that stuff, you know, and you see the comeback story and then it gets worse. Yes. And it like, and then it goes from just like bad to worse. And then he gets remembered in prison and you think like, this is the redemptive moment of the movie, but we're like seven hours into this epic movie and it just keeps getting worse for our main character until Egypt, right? Like where he lands as the number two in command and he really saves an entire group of people, but it's 17 years from start to finish. It's like 17 years from the moment he gets sold to the moment where it, aha, makes sense. And so, yeah, I just, I hold on to that. Uh, in Genesis of like, the, yeah, these stories are just remarkable for us to understand. And, and yet, so, th- sorry, the reason I went on this tangent is like, in the middle of that Joseph narrative that I love comes Tamar and Judah. Yeah. It's a, it's literally it's just, a rabbit trail. It's yeah, like... So you're kind of wondering, what is it doing here? It, totally. Like he gets, Joseph gets sold into slavery, and then all of a sudden it just picks up with Judah for some reason. And then it goes back to Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. You're, so you're like what is Genesis 38? Like, how did it, why is it there? And and yet like in studying it, I really think there was an intentionality, uh, even looking back now to know like, oh, Tamar has two boys. She has twin sons and those twin sons are going to be a part of the genealogy of the savior. And so Genesis 38 becomes one of the most significant chapters uh, in the book of Genesis because we see the line of Jesus established through Jacob and through Isaac and through Abraham, right? And so for the rest of the Bible where God's going to say, I am the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, I'm the God of Jacob, we see his his line being established through Judah and through Tamar, which you're like, what? And I really would just would go back to uh, like uh, straight lines with crooked sticks uh, is it, just how remarkable this story is that, that God uses that. And and the two things we pulled out of the of the text really were divine justice and then the tension of truth and depravity, which um, I don't know if you want to dive into either one of those, but I just think that both of those things stood out glaring to me in this story of we have a God who cares about justice. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I was just thinking about too, it was, we were talking about like, I want to get back to divine justice and I want to talk a little bit about um, a little bit of get to this idea of invitation that you share with us on Sunday. But one of the things I was just thinking about when you were saying, like, even with Joseph, he had to wait 17 years. I, I mentioned earlier this verse from uh, Romans. Apostle Paul talks about God works all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And you look at things like Judah and Tamar, there's a part of me that th- that really highly doubts that Judah and Tamar had any sense of what, what their part in this kind of divine work of salvation, right? Like, they didn't for – sure. for, there's, there's no way they're knowing this. No. And so even for us, like, but the payoff, obviously, of that whole thing, that God uses brokenness and just even sin, depravity, like all this different stuff. And even in that, he's working his plan. He is working uh, 
to bring us the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even for, I, I just know for me, for you, for our listeners, there's people out there that you have gone through something. I was thinking about this year, we just had a baptism, celebrate new life, baptism service the other week. We've celebrated 147 baptisms this, baptisms this year, uh, which is amazing, incredible, so cool. But you just have these people and they're coming. So have you um, listening, you were baptized this year. And there's just been story after story of brokenness and almost sometimes an unknowing, like, this happened. I'm not sure what God's going to do with it, but God's already working. And we see even in this, like, even after hundreds of years from Judah and Tamar, that God would bring fulfillment of their story, would redeem their story in Jesus Christ um, and his work on this earth, his ministry, his death, his, his crucifixion and resurrection. Just incredible that we have that promise. So maybe that's an encouragement for you out there as a listener that that God is interested in your life, that he is working in your life, that he makes living things out of dead things. That's what he's done in your life. Um, and he will bring life um, and beauty and and good things even out of our own pers- our own mess. And there's something so beautiful about that that you see in Judah and Tamar, even it's total brokenness. Totally. And and, it, and it's not that, like, I, I just love that, that it's not that God takes your mess and goes like, well, if we'll just set that aside and kind of ignore it yeah. and, and we'll figure out how to work with this other part of you. And, you know, it's like in the middle of that is what God is redeeming and is working through, you know, that, that passage in Romans, like God is working for the good. Like, I think we we confuse that sometimes to mean that everything's going to get cleaned up, right. you know, or everything's going to make sense or, you know, my bank account's going to be full now, or like my relationships are all going to be mended. And it's like, no, nah, nah. it's, it's not that it's, it's not that any of those things necessarily get better immediately. Like a lot of Judah and Tamar's stories nuts. Yeah. Like it's not that anything got resolved. And yet in the middle of it, like God with us, Emmanuel is what makes the difference. Yeah. It, it becomes the lens through which we see everything. And we, we gain that eternal perspective, right? Where, like the temporal seems to fade in the distance as we gain this new perspective of this upside down kingdom of what God is up to. I always just talk about when I when I think about that verse and even in this story, I just think apart from God, without him in the in the mix of that, without him working, then this would just be a tragedy. Then these things would just be like, wow, these are just terrible stories. But then you get to see, okay, it's, he's not bound by time. He's not bound by any of these things. So hundreds of years, generation upon generation later, boom, he redeems this thing and he uses what this, he, all, of the, all of our existence, everything we experience is this raw material for God to do a work. And it's in the midst of that, he can just, he, he, may, he, he turns, you know, as that worship song goes, he makes beauty from ashes. It's like, it's not that, the, like something burned, something was destroyed, something was, was harmed. And yet... God, even out of that, even out of like sin, even out of like bad things, I don't know. He just, he makes it. He can make something beautiful. Yeah. Even that, I mean, the closing song we sang on Sunday that was, was Canvas in the Clay. It's like the lyrics of that song are just like so pertinent to what we talked about this weekend of like, he will waste nothing, like no failure, no mistake. Like he is the potter, we're the clay, like he's up to something. And I love that the Jeremiah 18 passage that that song comes out of is, Jeremiah, he goes to the house of the potter, right? And he says, like, God is the potter, the nation of Israel is the clay. And it's like, what value does the clay have to look at the potter and go, like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, we, we don't get to ask that question. And and yet the potter is up to something and he's working and he's, you know, and sometimes that's not fun. That's not, it doesn't always feel like there's intentionality there. But yet we look through 
all of time and all of scripture and, and the rear view mirror is helpful in your own life to look back and go like, okay, what is God up to? Where has he been moving and what purpose could he possibly have? Like he's with us, he's in the middle of it and, and he's moving. And I, and I think that's, that's encouraging to me. And I, hopefully that's encouraging to our listeners, like in this Christmas season, as we look forward to the coming of Jesus, we can also look back at some of the crazy stories that we see in scripture and, and feel like, oh, okay, I have a place too. Like I, I belong at the table. And I feel like I hear that in this, you know, these themes you brought up, this divine justice and the tension between truth and depravity, that even in the midst of that, like that God is good, he is just, but there is this thing, like he can still work in the midst of all of that and he's still willing to be with us, even in the midst of all that. Is there anything else you, you want to speak to on that? No, yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like we've just been, that's what we've been pounding on is like, he is just, and even in the story we see is just, like er is wicked and God strikes him down. Yeah. You know, Onan is wicked. God strikes him down. It's not that God is just like absentee. It's like God's moving even in the middle of that story. And, and I think sometimes that movement is obvious. And then sometimes that movement, like you said, with Tamar and Judah, they had no idea that they were going to be a part of the coming of the savior of the world. And, and so sometimes that justice is very obvious in the moment. And sometimes it does feel very much so like, God, where are you in the middle of this? And I think that's where that tension comes. It's like that truth and depravity. It's like the brokenness of the world around us, the truth that we know cognitively, and maybe that's hard to see in front of us, but that does feel like a, a tension to manage more than a problem to small, solve yeah, most days. Absolutely. I was just thinking about, you know, kind of as we're, Kind of wrapping up here, you talked at the beginning, like Advent is this um, season of anticipation, and there's like an invitation there, and there's invitation to to know the Lord, to know Christ, to experience Him. And I was just thinking about where where do you see even in your life, where is the invitation for you right now? Where is God kind of drawing you, uh, calling you to look at something a little differently, or I'm um, experiencing in new ways? Yeah, I I mean personally, I'm in, I'm in like this weird season of rest right now where I'm, I'm wrapped up at my old church at North coast and kind of finished that season and that chapter. And then I'm anticipating even personally, this new season of ministry is starting in January. And I have this, this, uh, in between and rest is not something that comes supernatural to me. Um, I'm not, I'm not good at it as I'm learning. Um, and so just trying to be kind of slow down and trying to be present with, with my, wife and with my daughters. And, um, I think in this Advent season, looking ahead at the story of Jesus and remembering, I think like so much of rest is remembering who God is, what he has accomplished, and then kind of living in that peace, like allowing myself to take a deep breath and not having to, I think a lot of work it, for me personally is like, it makes me feel valued and it makes me feel important and it gives me a mission to be on. And it gives me like, and I don't really have any of that right now. It's kind of all stripped away. And so I think, um, I'm just re learning and relearning and then relearning every day that like God is God and he is good. And he like the gospel is good and learning to just like rest in that and be present day to day with my family in the middle of, of, uh, uh, an in-between season, a waiting season, like that can be very anxiety producing as I'm trying to sell a house and move and all that. And yet I think just daily trying to remember that I'm, I'm a very forgetful person. And so I love that God knows that about us, that we're forgetful and all throughout the Bible, he gives us little things to remember, right? These, 
you know, Asherah poles or whatever, and, and like, uh, Ebenezer's and like things to remember who he is and what he's accomplished. And so I think that's for me, I feel like where I'm feeling that invitation from the Lord is just to rest in the gospel and in who he is and the goodness of that. That feels like a grace that I'm learning to receive on a daily basis yeah. right now. Well, thanks for sharing that. I just feel like it, it just fits in well with these, with this idea of, of this thing, the story that God is telling, like even through a genealogy, even through tragedy, even through hard things, even through seasons of waiting or rest or wherever we are, that God is, he's at work and there's an invitation to know him, to experience him, to remember him, to remember his goodness and to reflect on his grace. Uh, well, Austin, just thanks for, thanks for your time. Thanks for being with us. We're so excited to have you. I know our church is blessed already to get to know you a little bit, and we're going to be incredibly blessed to know you, to know Paige, to know your girls, and to, to have do ministry and live life together. So Heck thanks yeah. for being here, Austin. Yeah, we love it. We love it. We love Three Crosses already, and we're stoked for this to be home. That's awesome. Well, in the meantime, for all you, our listeners, we, just, uh, we wish you just this happy holiday season, that you would know the Lord, that you'd experience that invitation. And we do have some invitations for you. We have Christmas Eve services coming up. Uh, on Christmas Eve, we've got four different services at 8, 10, 12, and 2. Uh, we also have our our holiday, our holiday ice rink, the Christmas. You. It's amazing. The Three Crosses. It's amazing. Christmas, it's incredible. <laughs> this Christmas village, the largest outdoor ice rink uh, in the East Bay. It's incredible. It's but big time. It's big time. And they just got a light tunnel. I saw it today yes, for the very first time. It's the a train goes through it. There's, there's something for everyone. And so maybe that invitation, too, is to help be part of inviting others to know Jesus. Maybe it's an invitation to the ice rink. Uh, maybe it's an invitation to come to Christmas Eve services. Maybe it's an invitation into your home to share a meal or to to give a gift to someone who is who is in need. So we just pray for God's blessing over you. Pray that you would see um, God at work in your life, that you would see the invitations that God has for you, and that you just be a part of the work of ministry that He has for you. So thanks for joining us. Uh, and we'll see you next week, and hopefully we'll see you this Sunday. Thanks. 